This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ community radio station, Joy 94.9. Welcome to the Rainbow Report. News, opinion, current affairs for the Rainbow community from Joy 94.9. Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. Gay and lesbian radio station. And now your host, Doug Pollard. Doug Pollard. News and interviews. Joy 94.9. Welcome well, thanks to Chris and Cam for your drive factory. Good evening and welcome to the Rainbow Report. Tonight we're talking about body image, in particular male body image, though we will talk about women's issues as well. Uh, did you know, according to uh, one report, that half of all gay men say they, say they would be willing to lose a year off their life if they could have the perfect lean muscular body now? And 10% said they would happily lose 10 years off their life. Or that record numbers of men are nowadays taking steroids, having unnecessary cosmetic surgery, etc., to achieve an unattainable or unrealistic ideal shape. I don't know if any of you saw Insight the other day with that man who'd had um, artificial abs implanted. Very um, unrealistic artificial abs, I have to say. Researchers blame this partly on a lack of body diversity in the media, including the gay press, and a relentless focus which values people based on appearance, unquote. Joining James Newbury and myself in the studio tonight, uh, we have... Uh, Dr. Naomi Crafty, a psychologist from Turning Point, an expert in body image and eating disorders, and gay magazine publisher Brett Hayhoe of Q Magazine. And joining us on the phone, Dr. George Forgan-Smith, the healthy bear. So, are you dissatisfied with your body? How many hours a day do you spend in the gym? Do you have those perfect abs? And what did it get... What did it take to get them and keep them? Do the pictures in gay mags make you wish you looked that way? Now, I want to turn first to the publisher of Q Magazine, long-time publisher in uh, the gay press generally, Brett Hayhoe. We've been hearing for years, Brett, about the unreality of the images peddled in women's magazines. Do gay magazines do the same thing? Oh, look, I, I, think, the, I think the answer in general is yes. The short answer is yes. The longer answer, however, is that you have to also keep into consideration that there are financial obligations of the media. So if you're simply going to go along the lines of that, you know, everyone shouldn't be pretty in six packs and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing in the media, well, then you also have to convince the public to buy publications that don't have pretty and six-packs on the front cover. Now, of course, in the, in the gay media, there are many different types of publications. Mine, for example, is a free publication, so it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and you don't major on photographs uh, of, no, of no. buff shirtless boys no, anyway. The, Q Magazine's never been like that. Hang, hang on a sec, James. What, what's troubling you over there? I'm, I, I object. I object to this concept that these are unrealistic images. Clearly, these men are real because I see photographs of them in your publications. So I, I object to this thing that these people don't exist. I'm not saying that they don't exist, although quite often in uh, some papers they are... That 
retouched. Their images are photoshopped and so on and so forth. And Naomi, uh, you and I talked, this is uh, Dr. Naomi Crafty here, you and I talked beforehand about um, the... Uh, the way that some of these models who are being presented as healthy on the cover of magazines like Men's Health are actually putting themselves at risk in order to look like that. That's right. So um, there's been a lot of research that's shown that that, uh, people will uh, dehydrate their bodies or um, take steroids, of course, we all know that, or or engage in, in unhealthy eating practices, a whole range of things that are very unhealthy to appear healthy, um, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, yes, <laughs> ironic, of course. So, so I think, you know, that's my biggest concern always that, um, you know, really uh, what what we're thinking look is, is a healthy look is, in fact, for the majority of people, not healthy at all. Piffle. Absolute piffle. <laughs> it's not that we think this is a healthy look. People don't want to look that way because they want to look healthy. People want to look that way because it's desirable and most other people covet it. To believe that, that people want to look that way because it's healthy is like saying, I'm fat because I eat McDonald's, when in reality I'm fat because I eat too much of everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 this plays into what you were talking about, Brett, that there, there is a financial side to this. I mean, I, as you know, I've worked in the gay press as well. And it was also with a giveaway newspaper. But it was very noticeable that um, if you put a buff boy in Speedos on the front cover, um, all the copies got picked up in all the bars and everywhere. But if, uh, under pressure from the women members of staff, we put a lesbian on the cover half the copies never got picked up. Oh, that's a very pertinent point. You, even when your publication is free to street, you still have advertisers who pay your bills and they need your publication to be picked up and they need your publication to be read. So therefore your front covers are vitally important for moving them off shelves. This is what you might call the Princess die effect, isn't it? James, I'd just like to respond to your comments before. Oh, do you have anything equally uh, well, intelligent well, as well, people? Ma- <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a question to everybody. Do you think that we're born um, uh, only desiring slit, lean, um, particular body types? Or, or are we taught that? Or are we taught that? And if we're taught that, then surely there's something wrong with society's attitudes about body shape and weight, and we shouldn't be uh, promoting that in the in the media. We should be actually recognising that people come in a range of shapes and sizes, and that good people come in a range of shapes and sizes. Hard to sell, though. I think what you're missing there is that. You're making a universal assumption that that's what everybody finds attractive, this sort of lean, six-pack, chiseled, tall, dark... Mm. Yeah, don't get Sorry. carried away, James. <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> I'm doing a radio show. Um, but that's not the case. I mean, there are people who chase all sorts of body shapes and images. In fact, a friend of mine introduced me to a website where boys chased older men who look like Doug here, who <laughs> could hardly grace the cover of DNA, and that there are men out there who chase people of my body shape, which could best be described as ample. <laughs> You, you made this point, Brett, didn't you, that there are, in fact, a variety of magazines, particularly, well, a variety of gay magazines, covering a variety of body types and types of, 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 of man. 
So, oh, we, look, so, it, so we have bear mags and we have absolutely, and, and you do mags and you do take magazines uh, uh, such as DNA, which I think is just glorified soft porn. Yes, it is. That's but, what's wonderful about um, it. Which, which is coffee equally, table porn, yes, which, is, which is the same reason it repulses me as a publisher, but. Um, that's simply because that's not my type of publication. Well, it's the kind of magazine you can safely leave on your coffee table when mum and dad come to visit. <laughs> Q magazine, yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the, but even, I, I mean, I've got criticism, but Q magazine has been in operation now for 10 years. Yes. So there are 103 different covers. Mm. And the moment I have an Asian boy on the front cover... Mm. I get criticism that my publication is just about Asians. Or if I have a, a, a drag queen on the front cover, all of a sudden all my publications are about are drag queens. So you get the criticism regardless. And, and of course, though. I refer people to my website to say, have a look have at a look. the whole yeah. 104 covers and tell me that I haven't covered most people in that, in that spectrum. You, you brought up DNA, and in fact, the, uh, the, the, author, the editor, Andrew Craig, unfortunately can't be with us tonight. They would have liked to have been, but he had a, a prior appointment. One of the things that's been said about DNA recently, uh, the criticisms, is that in all the time they've been operating, in all those 10 years, um, they've had close to zero non-white people on the front cover. Uh, I think there's something like two or three people of colour they've had in all that time, James. We live in a marketplace of ideas, and if I want something in-depth and that approaches journalism, I'll read Q Magazine. If I want something pretty and mindless, I'll pick up DNA. Do you know why I pick up DNA, Doug? It's very simple. It's because I am so exhausted from thinking all day that I just want something nice. <laughs> oh, and, it, and, and that's a, it's a valid point. Mm. That, that's a very valid point. It depends, and, and that's why there is such diversity in the media so that if you are simply looking for that then you will pay for it and and you will buy DNA. Mm. Naomi? I've got another question about diversity. How often have you had a Nobel Prize winner or a molecular scientist on the cover of your magazines and, and how about recognising intelligent gay men and Gay men who as achieve. As soon as I find one, I will <laughs> happily recognise them. Gay men who achieve in other areas of life apart from appearance-related. Well, I think, uh, I think you'll find most of my covers aren't necessarily appearance-related. No, no. Brett's okay. Brett's publication they, they never is have been appearance-related. Um, my front covers relate to to the to the main editorial, so therefore there's there's a connection. I, there. I think you have a cabaret okay. artist on your current front cover, don't you? Uh, yes, yes. A young guy who's who's Australian but's made it very big in, in New York City at the moment. Yeah. So, so, so there's an... Uh, there, there's and the previous month was a drag queen. Next month, in fact, will be an Asian cover. Um, <laughs> uh, Stand by for incoming. Featuring, <laughs> my, featuring my good friends um, at Bansawai Resort in, in Pattaya. So that's, that's actually driven from a, an advertiser's angle. Yeah. But if you look at DNA... So different, different yeah. every month. But if you look at something like DNA, they are only there for their appearance on the cover, mm -hmm. and a lot, of them are like, a lot of them are like that. Um, and I think it needs to be said, though, Doug, that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I also think it's not that there's nothing wrong with it. I subscribe to Guns and Ammo because I like guns. And 
It's a very is, unusual pufter, this uh, one. What can I tell you? And what is a Queenslander. <laughs> exactly. I'm from Oi. Queensland, a state with civil liberties. But <laughs> they put guns on the front cover because that's what the people want to read. Joining us on the line now, we have the healthy bear, Dr. George Forgan-Smith. Evening, George. Hello, how are you guys? Uh, we're fine. Now, you call yourself the healthy bear, and of yes. course, the bear scene is all about caring less about your appearance, is it not? Well, I certainly believe that the bear community was a, a movement of rejection away from the body of perfectionism. Um, and it's an interesting journey that the bears have taken, but you know, in Australia, it's a very different scene to within America, where you've almost got the muscle bears and the chubs. So we're, it's the re- same cycle being repeated again in America. Yeah. Well, the Americans seem to be very good at this. In fact, I've, I have a feeling that the Americans invented all this. That it was all. Oh, it, it's, it's not hard to. It was all invented as kind of an American marketing thing. It's pure market segmentation, Doug. Chill. <laughs> but it also needs to be said that the. The, the bear and, and the leather queen market are, are some of the most accepting people in the LGBT community. Oh, yeah, I would, I would think that. Um, and certainly the, the thing about being... Fair is about identity as much as it is about body shape. Just because somebody's thin and not furry doesn't mean that they can't be a bear. It's, you know. they, can, they can be furry on the inside. <laughs> well, some people are, I believe. <laughs> la, 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 Thank you, Brett. Is, is there um, biological plausibility for that claim that people are furry on the inside? But, there uh, is. Um, certainly, the, yes. Yes. I'm not going to go into it. Yes. Yeah. But... Uh, do you, here in Australia, as you say, it's different to the way the scene works in America. But then again, the whole, although it looks very much the same from the outside, the attitudes are rather different. Um, I mean, someone once said to me, uh, oh, well, it's no wonder you're a bear. Um, you got fat and old, so that's where you belong. Uh, you don't. That's, that's not the truth at all. It's about identity and it's about <laughs> moving away from... The superficial body is only is the only thing. It, it's interesting. I'm I'm talking at a body sort of image forum in Sydney coming up soon, and one of the hardest things I want to do is I want to project on a screen what a 30 year old average 30 year old man looks like, what an average 40 year old man looks like, and that's next to impossible. You try searching that into Google Images, it's very very difficult. I'm in a fortunate position in the work that I do. I see what average people look like. And they look nothing like the front cover of DNA magazine. They look nothing like the front cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine. And I I think there is a generation of men who actually have no idea what an average man looks like. Uh, You you mean what a real man looks like, so to speak? (laughs) Um, Um, What a a non-photoshopped man looks like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I said jokingly at the beginning, you know, I asked uh, people to uh, message me and let me know, you know how many hours they spent in the gym uh, to get those six-packs they've got. Uh, again, I want to bring uh, Dr. Naomi Crafty back in here. That's something we, we discussed off-air as well. Um, that can become an obsession in itself, can't it? Absolutely. So, so just getting back to this idea that having good-looking men on the covers of magazines is not harmful, it's not doing anyone any harm and it should be okay. Obviously it is doing people harm. It's doing harm to, you know, your average 
bloke out there who looks at, the, at, at those images and thinks, why don't I look like that? And then often engages in very unhealthy um, behaviours in order to, to try and attain that ideal that they're never going to, to attain. So one example is excessive exercise. So we know that there are a lot of people um, spending hours in the gym um, exercising beyond what would be considered to be you know, a healthy exercise regime, um, becoming obsessed with exercise, becoming obsessed with their bodies and, and really being quite miserable as a result of that. And it's not just about images. If you pick up Muscle and Fitness magazine, they have recommendations of workout routines. Those routines are only really feasible if you're on high doses of steroids. There is no way that a human being is able to recover fast enough to be able to do these gruelling routines without some either amazing genetics, <laughs> Photoshop or steroids. James. You can't do it. James. Lefty claptrap. <laughs> the simple reality of the situation is is that everybody's going around saying, oh my God, people have eating disorders because of magazines. That's not true. People have okay, eating so, disorders so. because of other issues. I don't deny that the magazines could be a trigger, but the damage comes first. And what we see is a mechanism which is triggered possibly by the covers of magazines, but a magazine can't hurt you. Unless, of but course, the, I roll it up like and hit you with it. The guns on your magazines can't hurt people. Guns have a trigger and you pull it and the bullet comes out. What, yes, what but the person, a person fires a gun. I, I would put it to you. I've looked after a number of people with eating disorders and it's usually, it can be one or two very discreet episodes that lead to this. It could be a simple reference like happened to my to one of my relatives who was simply glibly told in a conversation, you'd never fit into your mother's wedding dress. That's all it takes. If it is a magazine cover and that's all it takes, then so be it. We need to acknowledge that. So we take away the magazines and eating disorders will instantly go away? It's, it's not about that. It's about people who feel bad about themselves, who lack self-esteem or, or whatever it might be, thinking that I can only be recognised in the society, I can only be valued if I look a certain way. But if we say to people, well, in fact, good, healthy um, uh, psychologically healthy people come in a range of shapes and sizes and and you can be healthy, you know, in a, in a range of shapes and sizes, then we're telling people that they're OK the way they are. And, Dr Naomi, that's exactly what you should be doing because you're addressing the flawed assumption. What I hear a lot of people saying is, let's just ban the people on the front of magazines and this problem will go away. Tick, next problem. That, to me, strikes me as just utter laziness and a betrayal of these people. So is, it, I, is, I is there a line where... It's not showing a single person that looks real on the front of a magazine. Are you, are you saying that it's, it's virtually impossible to not have an average-looking person on the front of a magazine? No one wants to look at average-looking well, people. They're boring. I, th I think Brett... Oh, who, wait, wait, who, Brett, who publishes a magazine, he, yeah, but Brett, who publishes a magazine here, um, he, he he raised the issue a little earlier of saying it's all very well to say you know put ordinary-looking people on the covers of magazines, but you have financial obligations to your advertisers and others, and uh, magazines with average-looking people on the front cover tend not to get picked up, tend not to sell. Um, and therefore you're not delivering for your advertisers and therefore you're not making money for the magazine to keep it but alive. But you would note, if you go back to the 80s, the very first gay magazine I picked up was a copy of Outrage when it was back in the, a, the A3 format. And I 
the only reason I picked up that magazine was because there was a guy who had a furry stomach, right? But the images on the front of these magazines have changed significantly from the 80s to how they are now. They have indeed. So has hairstyles. What's your point? The point is that we are being... <laughs> You're a grumpy little person tonight, aren't you? <laughs> um, oh, I am. I haven't had any chocolate. I'm giving up caffeine, oh. and it's just not working. But anyway, well, this okay. is not a consultation. You don't have to take it out on me. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. You're saying silly things. Oh, I'm not. What I'm actually saying is that we need to actually bring to bring to the to the foe what a realistic body looks like. Because if you flick through the whole magazine. Would you? How many images of somebody who looks normal would you find? We're not just talking about the cover. We're talking about the whole magazine. Well, let, let me let me put my two cents worth in here, George, because um, I've worked in gay publications probably since the 1970s, yes. um, and so I've seen an enormous change in the image that's presented. Um, and I, I, in, in some respects, I'm, as far as English magazines are concerned, I'm partly to blame for some of the change. Um, when I first got involved in gay publications in the UK, most of the men depicted were what you would call, I don't know, rather effete young men. They were rather willowy young men, slim young Dandies. men. Um, yeah, um, I, I won't say the word chicken, but sort of tending in that general direction. And that was kind of the archetype that you always saw in the magazines. They were pretty boys, basically. Uh, and then I went to work for a magazine called Him International, run by a guy called Alan Purnell, who was very enamoured of the American look. Uh, and so we started printing lots of photographs of the, these buff American guys and printing gym routines. And before you knew it, a lot of the other English gay magazines sort of started following down that route as well. Um, also, the actual type of uh, muscular body that you see has changed. Um, maybe ooh, five, ten years ago, there was a lot of focus on pecs. There was a lot of focus on chests and arms, and that was the big thing that everyone was getting hot under the collar about. Nowadays, for some god-unknown reason, everyone's focusing on abs. Because they're amazing and difficult to get and worthy of, you know, um, wow, you did well. Pat on the back. Now they make you how, like how does that make somebody worth more? Because they can spend, they can starve themselves and spend more time in a gym. How, how is that a worthy contribution to the Self-discipline. Batman is Batman because of self-discipline. Well, it actually makes them... after every meal could also be considered self-discipline. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see these people spend more time doing their homework. <laughs> I mean, to me, I find this whole thing about abs sort of it totally bewilders me. They all look like they've swallowed a giant ant. You know, they don't have a midriff; they have a thorax. Reducto one one of the concerns behind, like, let's look at abs, for example. The, one of the biggest issues has got to do with the fact that what people are willing to do to themselves. Having a set of abs doesn't necessarily mean the person is healthy. This person may be taking a list of drugs that they don't know where they're coming from. They could be starving themselves. There are a lot of different reasons that people come to that position, and I don't think we should celebrate it if the person is causing harm to themselves. Who cares if they're healthy if they look amazing and shag you rotten? <laughs> and that's a one... That's all right. James, so James is deliberately really trying to wind you up now. It, it would appear that within the gay community there is a lot of projection. We project our sexual fantasies onto other people and the people who match it the best are the ones who are going to get the sex. Yep. Not just the gay community, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is that this, the, one of the reasons that's driven this change in body image has to do with HIV AIDS. Let's not forget that. Because it used to be the saying that a fat queen was a healthy queen. 
that it was the same. And part of the body fascism, part of the desire to be big and muscular has been to show that there's no way I could have HIV because look at me, I've got abs. And we know <laughs> that's not true. But that's the way people have been thinking. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I, I can honestly say that uh, I used to be a slender, a very, very slender young man until AIDS came along, and then I quite deliberately decided to be fattened <laughs> in order to give that message. I couldn't be bothered doing. I couldn't be bothered doing the gym, but I was very happy to eat lots of Ben and Jerry's because I was in the US at the time. We have no salt worries. That's great. <laughs> um, but, but I think that there's more to it. There's because the front of a magazine is only a moment in time. That's all we're seeing. We're not seeing the person reducing their calories. We're not seeing the person overdosing on creatine. There's, there's a whole story that's missing from that one image. And that's what I think we're missing. Yeah, it's it's very it's very one dimensional. There is a whole it, it's very superficial, and um, I think you know you you had actually James had uh, cheering for you there when you mentioned about projection, that people project um, what they think is desirable off onto other people in that way. George, um, sorry you couldn't be with us tonight. Um, I, I, I deeply apologise. Ben. <laughs> we'd, we'd we'd love to have kept this going in in the studio, but as it is, we're going to have to let you go. Okay, it was wonderful talking with you guys. Thank you very much, George, and don't don't take James too much to heart. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. You can see me for the valiant. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I think I think it's Sanax in his case. Anyway, um, <laughs> thanks. Have a great night. Bro. Thanks, thanks very much for joining us tonight. That was Dr. George Vaughan Smith. The Healthy Bear. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. And this is your host, Doug Pollard, uh, ably assisting me tonight. Co host and producer, James Newbery. Also with us, publisher Brett Hayhoe and psychologist, Dr. Naomi Kraft. Now, I'm going to go to Dr. Naomi in uh, Crafty. I'm going to go to Dr. Naomi in just a moment, but uh, quite a few of you have messaged in. James has those messages for you. Well,. Some people think I'm unreasonable, Doug. <laughs> but we have had some really useful information in. We've had an endorsement for VAC's Body Image Group for Gay Men. Apparently the listener has always struggled with the way he viewed his body until he went on that course, and he found that very helpful. So that's something to look up. Um, Ken from Huntingdale says that he agrees with the view that some guys, such as me, are in pursuit of idealised bodies because they find them attractive and desirable, and certainly not because it's healthy. He's well aware that the time he spends in the gym and the things that he does to his body are quite unhealthy, but in reality, he's simply looking for that desirability. So I think that's one to me. And... Hi, lovelies. I'm happy and comfortable now in my own skins and not affected by images or marketing. I'm attracted more so by personality, character, substance, intelligence, and humor. Sure, my eye is drawn to the aesthetics, but I need more or I lose interest from Scotty. Well, Scotty, of course you are attracted to these attractive people. That's why they're attractive. Now, holding interest is an entirely different thing. I think that's I think that's a question of, uh, that, that goes to maturity, in fact, because a lot of what we're talking about or have been talking about has been to do with young 
gay men in particular. And it's getting through that stage to the point where you uh, arrive at that discernment that we've been uh, hearing about in that last message. Now, I want to turn to Dr. Naomi Crafty. She's a senior research education fellow in workforce development at Turning Point Alcohol and Drug Centre, and she has a background in counselling psychology, and she also spent several years in community education at Eating Disorders Victoria. Naomi, we haven't talked much about the eating side of this. Mm. We've talked a fair bit about gym because um, that is what a lot of gay men are kind of obsessed with. Um, But uh, I have noticed around the place an awful lot of young men who are, well, to me, they they look very unhealthily thin. Um, And I suspect there are eating disorders in in there as well. I always thought, though, that anorexia and bulimia were primarily female um, problems. Well, not anymore. Um, for a long time, you know, we would have said that they were primarily female problems. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but we know that there were a lot of men with eating disorders who were just going undiagnosed and weren't um, seeking help for those problems. But lately, we've been seeing quite a, a marked increase in the number of young men who are diagnosed with eating disorders. So when I started in this field about 15, 20 years ago, Roughly one in ten cases of anorexia nervosa was a young man, and now it's about 25%. And in particular, the increase is in the um, uh, prepubescent age groups, so young, very young boys. So what ages are we talking about Uh, We're talking about... Eight, from from about 8 to 18. And they're getting eating disorders at that age? That's right. That, that seems quite yeah. unbelievable. Where on yeah. earth are they getting that idea from? Oh, I know exactly where they're getting it from, Doug. They're getting it from this obsession with childhood obesity. That's exactly right, James. Well done. I That's know. <laughs> thing. I do research before yeah. I come in here. I just think most of it's crap. So, so, so absolutely the worst thing for a young person nowadays is to be called fat. And if you're a particularly sensitive young person, either male or female, um, and uh, you perhaps have uh, you know issues in your life, concerns about your sex- sexuality, concerns about being accepted, um, and you think that being thin will make you more acceptable and and better able to cope with your life, then choosing not to eat is one way of of doing that. We, we hear a lot about this thing called the obesity epidemic. Um, and it seems like we are bom- constantly bombarded with messages saying that, you know, the whole world's too fat. Mm. Uh, and, and they come from medical professionals, these uh, messages. They don't come from magazines. No, that's uh, correct. And, and they do come from the medical profession. I mean, I, I've lost count of the number of doctors who said, Doug, it's really easy. You just have to eat less and move more. And I think if it were that easy, I could have done it. It's not that easy. Um, but does that kind of well-meaning campaign attempting to address um, the issue of people who are overweight and therefore making themselves ill through being overweight with the potential for diabetes and and all those other things. Uh, The campaign to to, to get you to get your weight down is well-meaning, but this sort of eating disorder you're talking about sounds to me like it's like a kind of side effect of that. That's exactly right, it is. Um, But we also know that dieting makes you fat. So not only, you've got a number of issues going on at the same time, not only are there young people choosing to, to diet excessively and, and becoming anorexic or bulimic as a way, as a, a way of dealing with um, issues in their life, but there are also people going on extreme diets and those extreme diets can affect 
their metabolism and uh, can cause people to end up being fatter than they would be otherwise. So it's no coincidence that we live at a time in human history where people are dieting more than they ever did before and we're fatter than we ever were before. (laughs) It's a crazy paradox. It is. It is a crazy paradox. And I have experience of this myself. Um, About three years ago, I was going through a hard time in my life and my usual reaction to stress is to eat it away. Um, either cheesecake is my poison of choice but for one day I decided I might actually try t- following the advice of all these medical professionals and I decided that when I felt stress I'd take a walk and leave my mobile phone behind so my work couldn't annoy me and things of that nature. <clears throat> anyway, along the way I decided to become obsessed with it somewhere along the way and I was eating less than 800 calories a day and was diagnosed with an obsession over food but they couldn't call me anorexic even though I wasn't eating because I still weighed north of 100 kilograms. Is that something you're seeing a lot of these days? Yes, absolutely. Um, Dieting makes you obsess about food. So we are pre-programmed to think about food when we're hungry. So So one way of knowing that you're eating too little is, is that you're always hungry? Is that you're always thinking it's about food? It's not true, though. You're not yeah. always yeah. hungry. After a few days, maybe two or three weeks, yeah. my body stopped feeling hunger in the normal way. It started to feel very different. Now, to train myself not to feel hunger, one of the more extreme techniques I used was to wear two rubber bands, one on each wrist. And every time I thought about food in an inappropriate way, I would give myself a shock. This was given to me by a doctor, by a nutritionist, this idea. And when I asked the nutritionist where they got the idea from, it came from a place called a ProAnna website. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us about these yeah. ProAnna websites? Yeah, well, a, a ProAnna website, um, these are really frightening places um, to go on the internet uh, where people celebrate the idea of starvation basically. Um, And the story that you're telling me about um, being told to flick your wrist with a rubber band when you think about food reminds me of what, 20, 25 years ago when young men who um, were attracted to other men were told to flick themselves to to harm themselves in some way, to to, to, you know, cut themselves or harm themselves in some way to stop them th- these bad and evil thoughts. So that should tell you how ridiculous a treatment it is. It's about it's about trying to divert yourself from your body telling you something that's important. When our bodies tell us that we're hungry, that's an important message that we're getting about our need for for healthy food. So what was more important in that particular context, getting below 100 kilograms or eating food? Because the pressure that I was feeling was around losing weight. And I'm talking the pressure from the medical professionals. I walk into my doctor. Before a new doctor, I've recently moved to Melbourne and met a new doctor who is quite a decent chap. But before the fellow took my blood pressure, he looked at me, looked at me up and down and had decided what was wrong with me. I could walk into an emergency room with a litre of blood gushing from a wound in my head because I'd just been trampled by a herd of wild bison and people would go, you could lose a few pounds. Yeah, well, one of the things that I used to do in my role at Eating Disorders Victoria was to try and educate the medical professionals about some of the things that you're talking about. So, yes, we do know that medical professionals can be as biased around these issues as as anybody else can be. But, um, you know, what, what I'd like people listening to the message that I'd like to get is not that uh, we should 
just eat whatever we like and, and um, you know, not worry about our health, but that we should stop thinking that our weight is the best measure of our health and think about a, a healthy diet and doing a, a healthy, moderate amount of exercise and then learning to be happy with whatever hmm. weight we are because it, when it, we do those things. Yeah, it, it, it is possible to be fairly heavy and still healthy. Absolutely. Um, which is the message you, you, you very seldom see. I mean, I, I, I've been reading a lot of the Kerry Greenwood books recently, mm. and she has a, a whole series about a baker who is a big, hefty lady. Mm. But she can work like a navvy and need hundreds of loaves of bread every morning to put in her baker's shop, and there is nothing wrong with her. She's just a fat lady. Yes, and, and, and the reverse is also true, and I think this is a message that we need to get out there a bit more too, is that it's possible to be thin and be very unhealthy. Um, not just because of some of the things that we've been talking about today, but because it, um, uh, there are a lot of people who have very fast metabolisms who can eat very unhealthy foods. I hate them. For, uh, <laughs> I do too, James. I hate them. I hate them. But you know what? <sighs> These people often die young of, of heart disease and, and the fat on the inside syndrome. So, <laughs> so we need to be telling them that they need to be careful about what so, they eat as well. We all do regardless of what size we are. That's the message. This evening, we're talking about body image, eating disorders and related matters. With me in the studio, I've got uh, my co-host, James Newbury. Gay magazine publisher Brett Hayhoe and psychologist Dr Naomi Crafty. And, of course, we also have messages from you, don't we, James? My favourite this break, Doug, is from Chris the PT, joy regular and a personal trainer. He says the obesity epidemic is far more complex. Society and lifestyle expectations are the bigger problem. Um, yeah, I think we were getting into the complexity of it there, weren't we, <laughs> before we went to the break Brett, um, just to haul you back into the conversation and wake you up again, you seem to have been getting very comfy and cosy I was there. having a lovely little nap there. A lovely little nap there. You've been listening to uh, all that we've talked about here. No, what's your name? <laughs> Don't spoil the image, you know. We, this is radio. We can make it look like anything we want to make it look like. <laughs> Um, as I say, you have been listening with intent to uh, everything we've been we've been talking about here. Um, you've also been in the publishing game for quite a long time. Uh, I want to go back to what George said before, saying that like the the ideal image has changed over time. Has that been your experience too? Certainly been mine. Yeah, look, it, I, I think it has. I look quite frankly, I would love to continue with with even more diversity on the front covers of Q magazine. And, and I try. I, I seriously do try to have different types of people on the mm -hmm. front cover. And I, think, and I think all publishers can strive to do that without it, it, getting that, by getting that balance. Yeah, you have to get that balance. There, there is a financial reality, but I think we can all strive and we can reach some form of balance. Yeah, we've got to we've got to kind of walk a line here, don't we, Naomi? That's that's the point. Naomi, I was really I was really interested to ask: is it, if these images are causing issues, where can we go to make it change from causing harm to giving inspiration? Okay, really good question. As I said earlier this evening, we're not born thinking that 
you know, only tall, thin people with six-packs and, you know, p particular body types are attractive. Somewhere along the line we learn these things. Mm. So the the it's a much bigger problem. I mean, you know, ageism is another issue that we could spend a bit of time talking mm. about, mm. A, another show. Um, but, you know, we, we live in a world that, that seems to only value particular types of of appearances particular types of people and and um and uh so learning from from you, you know your your parents knee um that people come in a range of shapes and sizes that people come from a range of ethnic backgrounds and that people come from have a range of of abilities and and um, personalities and so on and that all these things are, are what make us as humans wonderful yeah. and learning and learning that diversity is a good thing mm. um, and and of course that needs to be picked up in schools it needs to be picked up in the media generally in in yeah I think I think Dawn Huff um, put it best for me. She she runs uh, an organisation called Diversity Inc. Mm. Um, and I heard a very inspiring talk from her. She was talking about sexual diversity, but it's equally applicable across the whole range of racial diversity, age, colour, you know, what, whatever whatever we got. Mm. She said, we have got to stop thinking about, uh, you know, a certain image or a certain type or a certain sexuality as being normal. She said, what's normal is diversity. That's right. Diversity is normal. Yeah. Yawn. <laughs> Yawn. Piffle. Oh, my God, I am so bored by that statement. Firstly, I want to talk about what Brett just said. Diversity in media is a bourgeois concept brought about by, you know, a leftist bent. In reality, your job is to shift copies and make money for your proprietor. You need to find out what your readers want I to read and talk darling. about. It. Then make some cash <laughs> for yourself, darling. Money. It's it is a Do market. Not sit over there and, and criticize my comments. Maybe <laughs> perhaps this is why media is in the toilet. All of these media people are talking about, oh, I need to edit diversity into my paper. Nonsense. You need to find out what people well, want and don't. provide it. Actually, they don't in most cases. Um, actually, as you're saying, they do define a market and they define it pretty narrowly. Uh, and then they go after it hell for leather. Uh, I mean, Mur the Murdoch press is a case in point. They, um, they define a particular demographic, a particular set of attitudes. Um, they're going to go after that particular slice of the market and everything in that paper. Uh, from the pictures to the headlines to the vocabulary that's used to the range of vocabulary is all aimed into that one narrow slot. And it's he's not, done okay for himself. It's not just pictures. Um, I want to I want to broaden this out though. I mean, the media is 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 part of the problem, and also has to be part of the solution. But it goes a lot deeper than that, does it not? Definitely. I mean, th th in many ways, what happens in the media is as much a symptom. As anything else, they have to live in the world that we've got, and the question is, how do we change the world so that they can still make a living, but in a less harmful way? Simple. Stop obsessing about the media and address the root cause, which is these people have low self-esteems, and we need to find what their bad default assumptions are and fix them, Doug. That's the answer. It's not more normal people on front covers of DNA or what have you. It's actually fixing the underlying problem so the magazine doesn't affect these people. Well, you have the same thing with mental health. Um, you know, there's a lot of money these days being thrown into GLBTI mental health. Um, there's a lot of focus on that from people like Beyond Blue and all the rest of it. Um, the root cause of poor 
GLBTI mental health, the, why, the reason why we have higher rates of mental disorder in the gay community, and I think that includes eating disorders and body image disorders mm. and a lot of other things. The root cause of that is the basically, and I hate to use the word, homophobic nature of society. We're still not fully accepted. We are still not celebrated in the way that uh, other people are. And no matter how hard you try and maintain your own pride and your own self-esteem, it's really hard when you're surrounded by a whole society that's doing the opposite. Yeah. Well, James, I, I know you've been throwing lefty at me as if it's some sort of a... No, I'm throwing a, it at Doug. A, a, a <laughs> negative term, but I must tell you that I wear my lefty badge very proudly and I'm going to sort of come round here and say that, you know, part of the problem is the... Um, uh, the right, very right-wing and uh, capitalist culture that we live in. Capitalism, as Doug has, has done a very good job of pointing out, is really opposed to tolerance and diversity. Oh, nonsense. Because it, it exists by making Absolutely. people feel bad about themselves and getting them to... To buy make, something to, to, buy make, them something to make them feel oh, better. Oh, absolutely that's, that's, nonsense. That's Cheesecake right. does make me feel better. <laughs> so, so it's no surprise, Doug, that we have an increase in mental health problems across the whole community um, and that we have an increase in, in young people in particular feeling that they don't fit in because our capitalist culture promotes that. I would like to point out one little corollary. Corollary. Thank you. To what you're saying. It's well, well and good to go, oh my God, we need to be nicer to everyone, but no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he didn't have cash. Thank you, Maggie. <laughs> we have two messages that I'd like to get onto, Doug. Yep, go. The first one is from Mario, who says, Hi guys, first time I've listened to your program and I found it very interesting. I can identify a little bit with over-exercising and worrying too much about my body image. We've also had a question from Betty. What are your thoughts about eating everything in moderation as a way of monitoring a sensible intake of food? Well, Naomi, <laughs> I'm going to throw that one at you. Well, yes, um, I... I developed a group program that runs out of is the psychology the, Is this thing called clinic? mindful eating that we're talking about here? I think we are talking about mindful eating, but the group program that I developed um, is called the Moderate Eating Group. Right. So, And the mantra is everything in moderation. I know it's boring, James, before you say it. Yes, it's just... Um, well, as my grandmother used to say, everything in moderation, including moderation. That's right. And a we, woman after my own heart. And we and we talk about, um, about mindful eating a lot in these groups. Yeah, and, and that's basically uh, be aware of what you're putting in your mouth be aware of what you're consuming because you can eat an awful lot without really noticing that's it um, one of the best one of the best ways that I really shocked myself when I tried to keep a food diary once I had no idea I was shoveling in as much as I was but Doug we, we've been spending the past hour talking about food diaries and how they are the beginning of the slippery slope to an eating disorder <laughs> indeed we have thank you for listening to a joycast from joy 94.9 Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.